Hello and welcome to the third episode of the Do Yourself No Harm podcast. I'm Dr Claire Ashley, GP and burnout survivor and mental health advocate. In today's episode, I discuss a problem which was 100% a factor in the development of my burnout, and that's imposter syndrome. In this episode, I'll be covering what imposter syndrome is, the different types of imposter syndrome, how imposter syndrome is experienced by medics and the evidence behind this, as well as covering how you can tackle it both in your work environment and as an individual. My challenge to you today is to take one of the ways to manage imposter syndrome described at the end of the episode and to implement it this week. Please let me know how you get on if you do try any of the techniques I describe. You can send me a voice note through Anchor to let me know how you've got on or tag me on socials. My handle is at Dr. Claire Ashley on Instagram. Finally, if you enjoy the episode, please hit like and subscribe to know as soon as the next episode is released. On my social media, what I largely talk about is my experiences as an NHS GP and also my experiences with burnout and kind of the mental health problems that I've, that I've experienced as a result of that. Now, as part of my recovery from burnout, I've had to do a lot of work on the things that have unfortunately resulted in me ending up in that position. So obviously the, the pressures that we're all under in the NHS as well have 100% factored into my burnout. Um, However, there are also some other factors as well. And unfortunately for me, my imposter syndrome was very much one of those factors that predisposed me to developing burnout. So what we're going to talk about today is everything that I have learned about imposter syndrome. Um, And in terms of what we're going to cover, we're going to talk about what it is and some myths around it as well. We're going to talk about how how and why um, medics in particular are affected. And we're also going to talk about some practical strategies to tackle imposter syndrome as well. So imposter syndrome um, was first described in the 1970s by two psychologists who did some work on high achieving women. And what they found was that this group of women that they studied um, suffered with this syndrome that they then labelled as imposter syndrome. And it's a condition in which people believe that they are not worthy of success and they have a persistent belief in their lack of intelligent skills or competence. And the people that suffer with imposter syndrome feel very uncomfortable with their achievements and their success, despite the fact that objectively and on paper, they might have lots of, you know, achieved a lot and have a lot of success. And quite often people that have imposter syndrome believe that their achievements are due to luck or mistake. I definitely suffered with imposter syndrome before my burnout, although I don't think I recognised it as imposter syndrome. I have lots and lots of qualifications and on paper I look very successful, but that didn't stop me from experiencing some of the thoughts that you get with imposter syndrome. So the sorts of thoughts that I was experiencing when I was suffering with imposter syndrome were thoughts of, you don't know what you're doing, Claire, you're an absolute fake, you're a failure, nobody likes you. Um, And um, I really worried that I would be found out to be a fraud and that someone might turn around and say, you know, we, we know what you're what you're really up to, Claire. We know that you don't deserve to be here. These are the very common thoughts that people get with imposter syndrome. And really what it comes down to is fundamental feelings of poor self-worth and poor self-confidence for whatever reason um, that, that you're experiencing that. Let's talk a little bit about what imposter syndrome isn't. So it's not a mental health condition. 
and it's also not self-doubt. So self-doubt is, um, everyone experiences self-doubt. It's very situational and tends to resolve after that particular situation has been resolved. Whereas imposter syndrome is pervasive and it affects you regardless of what situation you're in. And what it does is it leads you to doubt your past achievements, your present ability and your future ability as well. So it's really pervasive and, it's, and it, it, it's much, it has much more of an effect on your mental health and your well-being in the long run than self-doubt does as well. So we're gonna move on to some myths now. So the first myth is that women are more affected than men. And I used to think the same as well. So the initial work that was done on imposter syndrome was done in women. Um, and so initially it was thought that women did um, suffer more than men. Um, I actually went to an online conference last year and I saw a talk from a psychologist on imposter syndrome. And she said, imposter syndrome is a construct of the patriarchy. Don't ever fall for it, girls. Just, you know, it's absolute rubbish. And I was like, oh, she's right. She's right. Day after I'm in my GP surgery and I'm consulting with a man who has anxiety and all of the symptoms symptoms of imposter syndrome and he told me he thought he had it and I was like yeah you're absolutely right so we know actually that imposter syndrome affects both sexes and it's thought to up to 70% of people experience some degree of imposter syndrome in their lives and it affects men and women equally according to the data it is more common in academic and business settings so in environments where people are high achievers and fundamentally comes from not feeling good enough, regardless of where those thoughts and those feelings originate from. And what about in medics? So in medics, um, there's there've been several kind of literature reviews that have looked at the, the particular prevalence of imposter syndrome. Um, Thomas and Maggetti was a narrative literature re review that looked at medical students and doctors and found that prevalence rates were between 22% and 46.6%, and slightly more women than men were affected. Um, the study that was done in 2020 by Levant et al. looked at third-year medical students. They interviewed uh, 215 medical students, I think it was, and they came up with a rate of 59%. And again, men and women were equal. However, the way that women experienced imposter syndrome was different to the men in that particular study group. What both sexes experienced in that study were everyone was scared about or worried about fear of failure. People tended to remember their failures more than their successes and place more emphasis on them. And they also believed themselves to be less capable than others. However, the women that were interviewed as part of this generally identified with comparison. So they tended to compare themselves more to others as compared to the men. They also worried more about succeeding. They also put more importance on the opinion of others compared to men. So their experiences of imposter syndrome is slightly different. And um, in that particular study as well, the women actually did better in their exams and they also spent more time studying as well. So the way that they dealt with their imposter syndrome was to work harder basically. And then in another literature review that was done in 2020, the rates of imposter syndrome ranged from 22% to 60% in both medical students and in doctors. And what they found again was that gender was associated with imposter syndromes, again, slightly more women than men. 
but also low self-esteem was a predictor for imposter syndrome and institutional culture. So that's something that we're going to come on to later in the presentation, talking about how medical education, so medical school, and also how postgraduate training can impact your experience of imposter syndrome as well. Okay. So we're going to move on slightly to um, some of the types within imposter syndrome. So the original work that was done in the 70s identified five competence types. Um, and these competence types all experience imposter syndrome slightly differently. So we're just going to briefly touch on those. In the literature, the, one, the, the type that medics tend to fall into the most are the perfectionist type. So to start, we've got the soloist. So the soloist is someone who defines competence as um, being able to do a task solely on their own. So um, typically these sorts of people only feel satisfied when they're able to complete a task entirely on their own without external help. So this particular type of person doesn't like to ask for help. They like to prove their worth through doing everything on their own. And so when they're unable to do that, they then typically fall into the pattern of thinking that is associated with imposter syndrome. The next group of people uh, within imposter syndrome are the experts. So um, experts believe that their competence means knowing everything. Um, and if they don't know everything, they blame themselves and develop imposter syndrome. In this particular group of people, they tend to gather knowledge. They don't like to start a task until they know or they feel that they know everything they need to complete that task. And so quite often they end up procrastinating or avoiding taking on tasks that they don't feel they have enough knowledge to achieve. Um, and also they don't tend to put themselves forward for things like um, promotions or for, for jobs where they don't feel that they tick every single bit of criteria um, for those particular jobs. They also This group of um, people with imposter syndrome also tend to do lots of courses because they like to get lots and lots of knowledge. I've definitely done this before in the past. I love a good course. The next type is uh, the superman and the superwoman. So this particular type of person with imposter syndrome pushes themselves to work really, really hard and measures their competence based on how many simultaneous jobs or roles they can take on at the same time. And they have an expectation that every single role they can do to a really, really high standard. And of course, that's completely impossible. So the minute the juggle gets out of sync and um, they start to struggle to, to do everything that they need to do, I can certainly think of many roles that I take in, on in my own life. So being a GP, being a mum, being a friend, being a wife, etc. It's hard to juggle all of that. Um, and when with this particular group of people with imposter syndrome, when, when, when they start to juggle, that's when they start to develop their imposter syndrome. Natural genius, they have very high standards. They expect themselves to get things right first time and to be able to do everything well on the first go. And if they don't, then they experience shame and imposter syndrome. And one of the ways that they tend to avoid um, getting themselves into that particular situation is to avoid taking on tasks they don't feel that they'll be able to do first go. So we're going to move on to the, the type that is the most common type in the in medics, or at least in the literature, which is the perfectionist. So the perfectionist who has imposter syndrome, their primary focus is on how their tasks at work get done. Uh, the perfectionist sets themselves excessively high standards 
and believe that they should be able to deliver a perfect performance 100% of the time. Now, obviously, we know that that is completely unattainable. Um, and so when the perfectionist focuses on the unattainable place they want to get to, rather than the process and the learning, um, you end up in this cycle of imposter syndrome. Perfectionists find it very difficult to, to celebrate success because they set themselves such high standards um, and they tend to focus on what should have been done better rather than the stuff that they did really well. They find it very difficult if they're not, you know, 100% in control. And with a perfectionist, if you, if they get to the point where the success is difficult to disregard, so let's say you're very high up within your organisation or your, or your university or whatever you're working, the shift then moves on to questioning how you'll be able to keep up your performance. And over time, perfectionism pushes people into either overworking or avoidance. So I think we see this a lot in medics. So um, as, as medics, we are prone to working very hard and staying late and pushing ourselves to take on more work and probably more than, than we should. And I think also, I think some of us can sometimes show avoidance as well. So I definitely know that when I was a junior doctor, my imposter syndrome really started around um, some of the tasks that I was expected to do as a house officer. So the thing that comes to mind in my memory is having to cannulate or bleed difficult patients with difficult veins. And I used to really worry about missing because obviously if you're being asked to, to cannulate someone with difficult veins, you know it's because they're really tricky and you're more likely to fail. And so what I would try to do is I tried to delegate, get someone else to do it if I could. Trouble is that as an F1, normally you're on your own. <laughs> so then what I would do is I'd avoid doing it until perhaps later in the day. So I do the so-called easier tasks earlier on and then do the tricky stuff later on in the day. And then if I couldn't do it, I'd get myself in the right tears and I'd be really worried about having to escalate it. So I've definitely demonstrated both of these as a result of my imposter syndrome, but you'll be pleased to hear that no patients ever came to harm as a result of me trying to trying to find an SHO who might want to do a cannula. And the literature also shows that perfectionism is a trait that tends to run in medics and can contribute to imposter syndrome and worsening mental health as well. So there are quite a few studies that suggest this. Um, we know that there are high, high rates of maladaptive perfectionism amongst medical students, and then that is positively correlated with imposter syndrome and poor mental health. And what work has done as well is it's shown that medical training can either train for these characteristics, so it can make perfectionism uh, kind of downplay it and allow you to thrive and to learn in a really healthy environment, or it can make it worse. So one specialty that really puts perfectionism on a pedestal is surgical training. People who are in surgical training describe learning to be perfectionists. You know, they're, they're kind of taught during their surgical training that precision and faultlessness are to be valued. And we also know that our working practices, so not just our training, but also our working practices are a psychologically unsafe place to be for a lot of us. Imposter syndrome can sometimes be triggered by the way that we are treated at work. So we know that a lot of doctors experience shame related to learning, providing incorrect answers during ward rounds, being pimped. This was an American study. So that's um, it's basically where your consultant basically reams you out in front of everyone and normally in front of your peers and the patients as well. And in this particular study where doctors were talking about 
working cultures and practices and um, feeling stressed, they identified that perfectionism was a contributory factor to how they felt about themselves. And they described themselves as being very critical and feeling deficient when they're unable to make to meet unobtainable goals. So it all kind of feeds into each other and it all they, you know, imperfectionism of the way that we're trained, the way that we work, it all feeds into the development of imposter syndrome. Myth number two, imposter syndrome is what keeps you accountable and humble. Um, there is nothing positive that comes out with imposter syndrome, absolutely nothing at all. It's not what makes you work hard. It's not what keeps you motivated. It's not what keeps you, you know, it doesn't stop arrogance. There are only ever bad things that come out of imposter syndrome. So we know that imposter syndrome has a negative effect on people's mental health and well-being, and particularly in medics. What we see is that imposter syndrome is associated with high rates of burnout and mental health problems. So there was a study in 2016 that showed that the odds of developing symptoms of burnout are nearly four times greater for people with imposter syndrome and 60% of residents and physicians, again, American study, so residents are kind of junior doctors and physicians are consultants um, with imposter syndrome um, reported symptoms of burnout. Now, obviously burnout is a, is a problem that is multifactorial and isn't just down to purely imposter syndrome. Um, and certainly at the moment, it's a very topical issue with the pressures that we're working under in the NHS with the pandemic and also with the absolutely insane demand that we're seeing at the moment and the complexity of patients. And um, yeah, yeah, and it, you know, I could talk about burnout for, for hours. Um, and so it's a very, very topical issue at the moment because so many of us are struggling. And imposter syndrome is just one of the factors that might then help, unfortunately, get you into a position of burnout. And we also know that imposter syndrome is related to um, the development of other mental health disorders, anxiety, depression, etc. Um, and also, unfortunately, suicide. So we know in doctors that doctors have a suicide rate of between three to five times higher than the national average. And amongst doctors, women are more at risk of dying by suicide than the men. So as you can see, imposter syndrome potentially has um, very negative and very serious consequences, unfortunately. Okay, the next myth. Imposter syndrome is your fault. It's not. Um, and what this, what this myth is, is suggesting, I suppose the question that's being asked here is, is why me? Why have I developed these thoughts of imposter syndrome? What have I done to deserve this? There is nothing that you have done to deserve that. That's the first thing to say. What we know about imposter syndrome is that it develops as the result of uh, an interplay of experiences that have happened to you in your childhood and then some experiences that have happened to you in your adulthood. So the experiences in your childhood will prime you and put you at risk for developing imposter syndrome. And then as medics, it's medical training and postgraduate training that then are the perpetuating factors. So we know that personality type is um, one of the things that can put you at risk for imposter syndrome. But actually the biggest, the strongest predictor, sorry, of imposter syndrome is mixed messages about achievement in childhood. So I think that's really interesting actually. And I definitely identify with that because I received very mixed messages about achievement in childhood. So you might have been labeled or typecast as the clever one um, in your family. 
um, or the one that's hardworking or the one that is destined to go to university and to achieve. Your family's definition of success might have been a very traditional, very academic path. And that expectation was on you to fulfill that particular path um, and therefore to fulfill your family's definition of success. But equally, you might have experienced your family saying, well, what you're doing isn't good enough. And so you get mixed messages that you're expected to achieve and yet what you're doing isn't quite right. Um, and obviously that has significant impact on the developing brain. So as a child, you have a lot of neuroplasticity. Um, and unfortunately, these particular mixed messages can have effects on how your brain forms connections and memories and, and um, unfortunately might then put you at risk as an adult when you're in an environment that perpetuates and brings on imposter syndrome for you to develop it. And myth number four, confident people don't get imposter syndrome. This is totally not true. Some very, very confident people get imposter syndrome. So Michelle Obama has admitted to having imposter syndrome and Lady Gaga, as well as David Bowie. And I also found Tom Hanks and someone else. Oh, Sheryl Sandberg, who was the former, I think she's the former chief operating officer of Facebook. She's also written a really interesting book called Lean In, which is about women in the workplace. And actually, I really recommend reading her book if you haven't already. So these people are you know, obviously they're in the public eye. I mean, certainly Michelle Obama and Lady Gaga come across as incredibly confident and self-assured and put together, but they're just like the rest of us. The next myth is that imposter syndrome can be eased by success. And that's one of the problems with imposter syndrome is it doesn't matter how much success you have, you will never ever be satisfied by it. What you have is kind of a negative feedback loop in imposter syndrome of thoughts in your mind and in your brain. So it starts off with that feeling of thinking, I don't know what I'm doing. And that might make, make you feel a bit uncomfortable. And then you start getting a bit anxious about how you're feeling. And so the thoughts about being an imposter get worse and worse. And that leads you to doubt yourself and your ability. Then you start to doubt your ability to do your job and to do your tasks. And that then perpetuates a cycle of negative self-talk. And then that then just fuels a drive for perfection, which as medics, we know we are particularly prone to because our training primes us to be perfectionists. Then we fall into this overwork or avoidance where we're trying to prove to ourselves that we're not imposters, but our, the ways that we're coping are maladaptive and aren't helping us in managing our imposter syndrome. And because we are smart people and, and actually we work hard and you will get some success, but because it's being preceded by all of this negative stuff, you don't feel that you're deserving of it. And so it goes back to the start where you think, I don't know what I'm doing and it starts all over again. The, when it comes to tackling your imposter syndrome, what you need to do, like this, breaking the cycle doesn't happen at the success stage. Unfortunately, you have to tackle it earlier on in the cycle. Next myth is that imposter syndrome can be solved by removing yourself from a toxic working environment. So I think there might be a little bit of truth in this. Um, and it's not a total myth. So we know that imposter syndrome and perfectionism contribute to distress for medics in training using commonly used teaching techniques in medical education. And we also know that um, medical working culture is a psychologically unsafe place for a lot of us. Over half of doctors have experienced abuse and being bullied. I'm surprised it's as little as that, to be honest with you. And I think a lot of postgraduate training, we're still stuck in that, um, that site, you know, 
cycle of kind of negative learning experiences. Things are changing, but I think there is still a, 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 a large contingent of old school doctors who train by humiliation. And so it, it then, you know, then you will think, well, if you're in this toxic working environment, if you remove yourself from it, then perhaps you'll be removing yourself from the triggers of your imposter syndrome and you'll get better. However, removal from the toxic environment alone isn't going to solve it. And that's partly because the root cause of the imposter syndrome, remember the seeds were sown in childhood. And so the, removing yourself from the perpetuating factor and the triggering factors in adulthood won't, won't solve those issues. And once you're in the cycle of negative self-talk as well, it's really hard to break out of it. When your thinking is so habitualized to being self-critical, really nasty to yourself, removing yourself from a toxic working environment alone is not going to change that. What you need to do is to implement some CBT-based techniques, which we're going to come on to in a bit. However, I am a fan of removing yourself from a toxic working environment, regardless of what the cause is. I did it when I burnt out. I eventually left the job that burnt me out and I have zero regrets. So there are other, other um, kind of benefits to removing yourself, but my imposter syndrome followed me, even though I left that particular job, um, unfortunately. And the next myth is that it's relatively easy to solve imposter syndrome, which I don't think it is, unfortunately. It's not as simple as being aware that it's happening to you and, and applying a little bit of positive thinking. Um, if you really, really want to get on top of your imposter syndrome, it's going to take time and hard work, unfortunately, but it is absolutely doable. Um, when I was doing a a bit of research on on what to put in this presentation so the, the the coping strategies which I'm just about to come on to actually largely are things that I've been taught um, in my therapy and also from some books and some reading that I've done the literature that I've read but I did you know I did the classic I'll just do, do a google and see what the internet says and it, the internet comes up with loads of rubbish it says things like embrace the feeling well, why would I want to embrace things when my brain is going you're worthless and you're useless why would I want to embrace that I don't want to embrace that that's not helpful let go of perfectionism well that's easier said than done when you work in an environment where perfectionism is not only tolerated but positively encouraged and validated so yeah basically I think um it's not as easy as perhaps the internet would lead you to believe but then if it was easy none of us would be struggling with it I guess isn't it so in terms of things that you can do at work to help with your um, symptoms of imposter syndrome, there are some things that are evidence-based. So social support and validation of success are really important. I think largely what, and positive affirmation as well, and I think largely what that is, is talking about is working within functional teams. So if you're working in a functional team where everyone provides positive affirmations and lots of support and the opportunity for debriefs and learning in a safe environment then that is going to be protective against imposter syndrome and what we also know is that both personal and shared reflections are protective against it as well I think the reflective learning is a really really useful tool the difficulty I think we have as medics is that we tend to focus in on the negative feedback that we receive. Um, and often we don't get positive feedback as well. And that makes it difficult then to not focus in on the negative stuff. So I think reflective learning when it's done in the right way, um, where you 
are what you've done well is acknowledged is really helpful. And then also changes to medical education. So it's about getting rid of bullying and it's about um, cultivating medical education so that you know we don't train for perfectionism, we try to train that out of people. I think I've spoken about some of the things that you can do within your teams at work to help with imposter syndrome. I want to briefly touch on some techniques that you can use as an individual to help. It's important that any technique that you implement is easy to do, not too time consuming and will fit into your daily life. Because let's face it, as medics, our lives are already busy enough. So last year, I ran a webinar on imposter syndrome where I did a really big deep dive into these techniques. Now, I'm hoping to be able to make this workshop available for purchase on my website in the very near future. But until then, and for the purposes of this podcast, I've condensed the advice down into small achievable tasks that you can do right now to help with your imposter syndrome. I learned a lot about how to manage my imposter syndrome through the therapy that I had for my burnout. And in particular, CBT was incredibly helpful. CBT teaches you different ways of thinking and to accept that your thoughts are not facts. It teaches you to mentally challenge those typical thoughts that you get with imposter syndrome, such as, you know, thoughts of I'm a fraud and I don't deserve my success. And then what you do is you form arguments against them and then ultimately change the way that you think. So the next time you experience one of these thoughts, just stop and challenge the thought in your head. What is the objective evidence that this thought is true? And then when you ask yourself that, and in doing so, you'll probably find that you can formulate an alternative thought and experience a better and different emotional feeling. Another useful technique is to be your own cheerleader. So often our negative self-talk can be really quite brutal. And I know that some of the things that I've thought about myself in the past have been really quite awful. And I would never, ever contemplate saying them to anyone else because they're just mean and horrible thoughts. But in my head, it feels like it's fair game to think these distressing and at times very cruel thoughts. So when you experience those thoughts of imposter syndrome, Write the thought down and then ask, what would your cheerleader say? So your cheerleader is someone who always supports you and always has your back. So this can be internal, an internal cheerleader. Or alternatively, you could imagine that you're telling a loved one your thought. What what would they say to you? What advice would they give? Or you could switch that around. A loved one could could be telling you that thought. What would you say to them? What advice would you give? And then listen to that advice. And finally, keeping a diary of your achievements and compliments can be very helpful for referring back to to when you are experiencing imposter syndrome. So when you achieve something, write it down. It doesn't have to be a huge accomplishment. It could be something as simple as, I was able to take blood first time from a patient with really difficult veins today, or I was able to help my colleague today and they were grateful. However small that act was, it, it could just be making them a cup of tea and taking them a biscuit, you know? And then when you feel down about yourself, go back to your evidence diary and know that you deserve your success and that your achievements are legitimate and incredible. So that's the end of my podcast on imposter syndrome, and I hope that it has been helpful for you. If it has, please hit like and subscribe or leave a review if you have enjoyed it, and I will see you next time.